0: Hey there, it's Elliot. Before we get to the episode, I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast so that you get alerts every time we post a new episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, tell other people about it. We're really looking to help people understand how the role of the CCO is evolving. And if you can help us reach more people with that message, it would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. Think about the last time you made a big decision, like purchasing a home or taking a new job. Making that decision was a process, right? composed of lots of smaller decisions. How many bedrooms? Where will it be? What can I afford? How's the neighborhood and the schools? The role of the communicator is often to inform and persuade, but today, there's a growing movement in communications to borrow concepts from marketing. Things like nurturing people through a decision-making process, using a blend of data, social and behavioral science, technology, content, and new ways of working to move them through that journey. In marketing, this is called MarTech. At PAGE, we're exploring the notion of ComTech. Daniel Jurg is head of digital marketing and research at Farner Consulting in Zurich. And he spent the last 20 years taking his team through a period of experimentation that has resulted in what he views as the function of the future. On this episode, Daniel walks us through that journey, what he's learned along the way, and how his team is using a ComTech approach to drive real business outcomes. I'm Elliot Mizrahi. And this is The New CCO. Daniel, let's start with a little bit about your history. What did you start out doing in your career? Um, I
1: started doing uh, communications in a PR agency 20 years ago. And I started probably the way that a lot of people start in this industry. I was doing the welcome desk. I was doing the booklets for the pitch presentation. Um, But happily enough the thing called digital started to happen back then. And I was very um, early on interested in it and I had ideas. So after four months in the PR agency I was working in, I kind of had the the opportunity to build a business plan, how this agency could tackle digital. And it ended up with me having a team of five after half a year, which was uh, my entry into PR plus digital. 20 years ago. What did um, digital constitute then? Back then, oh, that was basically a search engine. Google has been launched. That was blogs. And that has been for us back then, online service. So doing polls and online service, which was something completely new back then. You had to spend a lot of money on marketing research. And suddenly, if you had a panel, if you had a thousand people to poll, you could do amazing stuff. And basically the blogs, the blog monitoring, checking what's findable for specific search terms on Google. Does your company appear? Does it not appear? Does critical stuff appear? Um, Those were the key questions back then.
0: And what attracted you to digital? I guess
1: my passion for digital came out of personal interests. I was always very much into music. And before Google launched, Finding new music, finding more of the great bands I liked, was really hard. It was buying magazines, it was going to record shops, it was asking people deeply into the matter of music and that kind of style of music that I liked. And after Google popped up, it changed and it kind of made click with me that what happens here to one of my hobbies, it changes everything in how people discover whatever information, whatever business, whatever product, whatever service. So that's how my interest into, how's this gonna change? Communication, marketing, advertising, everything. That, that's what spurred the interest in me. So you said you built a team of around five people. Yeah. yeah. What did they do? <laughs> um, at the revenue drivers back then were two things. So on one hand side, we did block monitoring. Uh, and it was very easy, it was handmade. So basically what you had back then was feed readers RSS feed readers, which allowed you to subscribe to blogs and websites. So uh, for example, for DHL, we did a global blog monitoring for them and it was all hand built. There was no Brandwatch, Radiant 6, whatever, you know, fancy monitoring tool there is today. So basically we, with Google researched all the relevant blocks in all the key markets, we pulled out the RSS feeds, we put it into a feed reader, we had around 700 sources, and every morning, two, or three people in our team went through all those posts, and we wrote a summary, sent it to Germany, to the headquarter, and we got good money for it. It's basically digitalizing the classic monitoring, um, uh, collecting, uh, collecting uh, clipping service into digital, that was one part of the things that really got us money, the revenue driver. And the other was uh, we built a panel of 5,000 people in Switzerland that we recruited that were opting in to getting polls from us. And with this panel, 5,000 in Switzerland is a lot. So you could, we could what we could say is this is actually really uh, representative of the, uh, the demographic uh, pattern in Switzerland. And that allowed us to do, like, message testings, um, packaging testings. For two years, we did, for one of the big chocolate producers in Switzerland, we tested every packaging design before they went to market. It saved them a lot of money because usually they did it with focus groups, which were a lot costier than what they did with us. And it won them speed. We did it in two days. The focus groups, they took a month. Uh, So it was a win-win. So these two things, the blog monitorings and the the polling, testing of messaging, packagings, this
0: was the revenue back then for us. So today those things are table stakes. Yeah. But then there was nobody else doing that stuff. At least not
1: in Switzerland, at least not in digital. They were all doing it the classic way. Yeah. it It was services. We just used a new medium to do it faster, cheaper, and scalable. That's what we did. 2007-8 was then the beginning when Facebook and Twitter really started to uh, be visible in in Switzerland. And that was fun to me because that that was what I was waiting for, a new... This opened a new world to us and we were experimenting like hell. That, That basically then was the beginning of the next phase. I was switching back to PR, uh, and I started working for Burson-Marsteller. Uh, started out in a Swiss role first. They had a team of 15 people doing classic advertising, but it was not performing too well. So the uh, CEO of the company back then brought me on to, to remodel this team into a we called it a cross media. You know, best of both sor- both worlds. Uh, and that's what I did for the for the for the next three years. And in this phase. Um, we did a lot of proof of concept stuff, which was fun. And if I look back at this time, the majority of the market and the budgets that we had, we did some really good stuff. Um, I'll give you an example. We were actually successful to pitch uh, into the association of the pharma uh, companies that we're gonna build for them an online community for a million dollars. Million dollars, two years, building an online community in 2008.
0: Mm-hmm. not too bad so we're still i think in the early stages of this journey mm-hmm. towards a really modern function mm-hmm. and you mentioned a couple times doing experimentation yes which i like you take a very yes. scientific approach yes what did experimentation actually look like at the team level yes. at this stage
1: yes i mean back then experimentation was really experimental in terms of it was not really accountable so Who was deciding if an experiment was successful or not? It was our gut feeling back then. So they weren't measurable experiments? Not really. I mean, you had a couple of metrics that you could look into, but but the level of of, of, of measurability that you have today was
0: uh, the dream back then. So what might have been an experiment that you ran that wasn't measurable but still told you? Yeah, something I mean, back then, useful.
1: basically, experiments were, okay, uh, are we going to get more links to our, uh, more traffic to our website when we are opening a business page versus going into groups, for example? So what we did in Teams say, okay, now For three months, we're going to try to just focus on one thing. And then for the next month, we're going to focus on the other. And then we'll measure in Google Analytics what's happening. Mm. That that was basically how we designed tests back then. Uh, Sometimes they were not as uh, long-term as this one. uh, But it was all very, let's say, hands-on, comparing different ways of doing things. But there was no... statistical relevance in in, in 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 measuring which one was actually performing better or not
0: and in this period you're in sort of the emerging field of digital content marketing
1: yeah exactly exactly it was still clients were still in the mindset of let's do content let's put it out there and someone will find it that's basically <laughs> the way they, they've seen it
0: so f- the advent of facebook and twitter certainly are game-changing in terms mm-hmm. of the ability to understand people's interests mm-hmm. to reach them where they are mm-hmm. that was over a decade ago yeah has there been between then and now another kind of watershed evolution yeah, yeah. And that was basically when when. i uh,
1: Uh, especially Facebook, when they introduced the, uh, the newsfeed advertising system with all the targeting capabilities that you had. I mean, that was really, really, really the game changer. And then basically you have demographic data, you have interest data, you have behavior data, and you have custom data. When you connect their advertising data to your CRM, to your website, to your app, etc. So what are and what are those for? If those you just four so. demographic data is targeting data is things like uh, targeting for gender, for age, for household structure, education, uh, where you live, uh, so um, post level, uh, etc.
0: So this is information voluntarily given by the person when they sign up for the platform. Fifty uh, fifty, uh, some so, of it is yes. derived so, from some, some
1: of them is is uh, you put it in your profile. The rest is uh, they track where you are when you have the app on your uh, on on your device, for example. So they know where you you're logging in from, and they know where you live. They know where you work because they see the patterns uh, on a daily basis. You're logging in at two locations, and in between, maybe a little bit, they know you know where you live and where you work. So the demographic data is that kind of data. Then interest data is uh, is the really important or the really interesting bracket. So on on Facebook side. Um, Let's put it that way. If you are a woman, a woman between 25 and 30, and you get pregnant, and for the first time in your browsing history, you start to visit websites around babies, uh, Facebook will mark you as pregnant if you visit three of such sites and you have never done it before. So it's not what you tell Facebook in terms of, oh, I'm pregnant, but actually, how you're behaving, what you're doing. So basically what Facebook does whenever you have one of Facebook's apps, and I'm, you know, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, uh, running or being logged in in the browser and you visit these kind of sites, they have an attribution model. So when you visit a lot of travel sites because you're planning a trip, you are, you know, you get the tag, you're interested in going on a trip and I can market to you. I can target you. So this is the interest data. And this is structured. There's a thousand different criterias from hobbies to whatever. Uh, And behavior data is really things you do. So if you um, commute, you have the same uh, paths that you travel all the time. Facebook knows you're a commuter, uh, for example. Or if you're spending a lot of money online, online shopping, then you are an online spender or if you're politically active, or if you're uploading a lot of images, your photo, uh, very uh, engaged with photos, or you're managing a business page on your own, you maybe you know running a business page, being an entrepreneur, these kind of things where, where you just behave in a certain way. And I can target these criterias as well. So these four layers, demographic, interest, behavior, and, and custom is basically the play field that we have today. That has been as a concept introduced a couple of years back already, but it gets better and
0: finer and and more precise. So let's fast forward to today. Mm -hmm. Um, You've built a team Mm -hmm. that has these sorts of skills and capabilities to engage stakeholders, find people, Mm -hmm. deliver messages, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. drive behavior basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the team itself. Yeah. What does the team look like and how did that take shape? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so basically the team I'm having
1: now is 20 people. Um, looking at talents that we have and the mix of talents, it's kind of a seven people are really marketing, performance marketing and conversion optimization people. So they're, they're doing AB testings, what landing page yields better results with what messages, etc. Um, So that's really analytical performance advertising driven. That's seven, A people. Um, And then there's uh, 10 people more content storytelling, they, you know, they basically give uh, uh, the content that the other guys need to run the campaigns. We have people who are just doing conversion copywriting, we call it conversion copywriting is writing for social postings and social ads and advertising messages and landing pages, not with the aim of okay, this is my messaging, this is my brand name, this is how I name my product and this is how I'm going to just do it, but actually wording things that it triggers that people do something. There's a lot of science behind this Um, and I have more and more people focusing on this. So these are people with behavioral science background, uh, people who are interested in psychology, people who work with um, cognitive biases. One of my passions is neuroscience. So looking into what neuroscientists found about how our brain works when doing decision-making. What we know now based on on monitoring activities in the brain is that basically 80% of decision-making is not driven rationally, but emotionally. And a lot of it is driven by biases. Uh, One one example, one of my favorite examples is the loss aversion bias. So um, avoiding to lose $5 is worth more to you than the chance of uh, finding $5. Um, That's a classic bias. So when when, uh, doing, let's say, a social advertising campaign around investing your money, wordings around preventing to lose perform better than wordings around what you can win with a good performance. And applying these scientific insights, doing A-B testing, looking at which audiences they actually yield better results. This is the kind of bringing behavioral science with performance marketing, with social media storytelling in general, bring that together into teams that work together agile. So it's not... The content team does the content, and they give it to the performance guys, and then it's done. It's per-
0: perpetual optimization. Yeah, it is. it's not putting things out into the field, and yeah, sorting, exactly back and observing, think- but constantly looking yeah. at w- what is this doing? How are people responding? Yes, exactly, and then adjusting.
1: Exactly. I think that is the big difference also in the mindset of the clients that we we, we serve today, and and let's say six years ago. It was still six years ago, even though with the new possibilities, the key mindset was, let's do more content for more platforms and put it out there. And and with putting it out there, for most of them, it was done. And nowadays, it's really, we also budget accordingly. So we budget like 60% for getting things off the ground and 40% is to optimize and test along the way. And when we do this, no client will ever give you 40% of the budget to just test. You What we do is, so we already have systematic approach. Okay, we're going to test this. We're going to test this. And also phasing this. What key questions are we going to test first? If either result, what's next? So they see, oh, all right, that's where you're going. And these are the inside wins that we can potentially get. Um, I'll give you an example. We just recently um, did an interesting campaign for a, a big financial client, Julius Baer. Uh, where we are doing a a global um, advertising mandate uh, around the sponsoring engagement that they have, Formula E. Um, So the electric pendant to uh, the Formula One. Um, And what we did is we had four TV spots that we developed for them, classic advertising TV spots. And since Julius Baer is operating globally, you have a lot of different cultural contexts. And the four TV spots were very different in the approach. So we said before deciding which, which spots we actually going to put advertising money, TV advertising money behind, let's test it online. And we did A-B tests with the four spots in digital to find out which spots resonated the most in what areas. And then we only backed these with advertising money on TV which worked perfectly well. So we needed a month uh, up, up time to test it and then uh, scale it on TV appropriate. But much more efficiently and
0: inexpensively yeah, than exactly. conventional advertising exactly. testing.
1: Yeah, we ended up with two different uh, spots being, and we didn't use the four ones for TV, it was two, and it was basically East and West with two different spots.
0: Interesting. Yeah. You mentioned Agile. Mm-hmm typical day in the life of somebody whose team is agile mm-hmm. what is that gonna look like
1: um, it's depending on the project so uh, one thing which is which is clear is that in an agile team you're not having your project and that's you know it's very structured and and, and you know what you're going to do the next <laughs> the next two three months uh, actually the, the the defined thing is that we do have like newsroom meetings. So when you're working in an agile uh, campaign at Farner, you usually have a, day che- a daily check-in with people from different uh, units. So for Julius Baer, when we have people from the digital performance team, from, uh, people with SEO background, people with content marketing background from, from the digital side. We have the advertising guys, we have the media relation guys. And usually they, like in a, in, in, in a newsroom, At 10 o'clock in the morning, they come together, latest findings from the last 48 hours. Do we need to change something? Do we need to test something? That's the kind of model we're fostering. And that's what we encourage the teams to do.
0: So we talked about digital marketing, Mm -hmm. which I think would often result in an outcome that's like a purchase. But for communicators, Mm -hmm. we're certainly trying to influence perception or Mm -hmm. behavior what are some other use cases for an agile content marketing approach? Yes, yes.
1: So it's by far not only just doing purchases. Actually, uh, most of the stuff that we do is not purchases. It's maybe 30% is is classic selling and the rest is winning elections, um, getting more employees uh, faster, cheaper, more efficient, the right ones. Um, Internal campaigns work like this as well. Um, Getting the support for an important issue um, being the thought leader in an industry, B2B marketing is so a lot of it is owning a topic, but really owning. I know that PR guys were talking about this 20 years ago, but they were never being able to A, guarantee it, B, measure it. Uh, and we can do that today. Um, give you an example. If you right now, we're working for Siemens on the global level, uh, for Siemens uh, smart infrastructure. And we want to make sure that whenever, whenever someone around the world is talking about smart cities, smart infrastructure, Siemens is part of that conversation. And the audience that you need to address is pretty well definable. Um, and the way to approach them is pretty clear as well today. Through platforms like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, etc., you can actually measure how big that audience is uh, you can measure how many times you reach them. You can see how they reacted to your messages, how many of them actually picked up the message. Um, these kind of uh, use cases is, is the bigger part of our uh,
0: revenue, actually. So attracting and retaining talent is something I think that's becoming even more important for organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you design a journey, content journey, mm-hmm. that would produce an outcome of acquiring mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. people that you want to yeah. have in your organization yeah
1: a good question and and really depending on 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 the employer brand uh, and and the most needed talents that they need we just did a a bigger um, employer branding campaign for the swiss Ra- uh, federal federal uh, railway company and they especially were looking into uh, getting more people not for the white collar Uh, uh, jobs but actually the others Uh, so we had to come up with building a story that made it clear to um, those people that could potentially be interested in such jobs that working for the Swiss uh, Federal Railway whatever little thing you do it's helping to be for that bigger thing which is the swiss federal railway which is a brand in the world for you know it's the railway which is most on time at uh, in every measure to or compared to any other railway company they are you know top of the league that would figure for the swiss very Yeah, yeah yeah it's it's also part of the swiss brand but the swiss federal railway is like topping it like they apologize if they're running 20 seconds behind and tourists always laugh, but they take it very seriously. Um, so basically what we did there is also knowing that these people are probably not the ones who want to read. They're probably more into videos. So what we did is coming up with a series of um, of videos that get people interested and, and then having their peers. So people people working on the, uh, on the real railways in videos explaining why they think what they do here is not just a money job, but actually, you know, help shape the brand of Switzerland. a bit exaggerated but in their voice their tonality their slang people who watch these videos they will be taken to second video which actually show hey what is even the potential development curve that i can with a simple job here in this company can 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 do what's my perspective in here because there is tons of stories how people starting with very basic jobs ended up becoming team leaders Getting educated, they have an an exceptional educating system within the company. Um, So what we basically designed is a video journey, starting with very simple first messages. And then people who watch the first video will be retargeted to see the next video. People who've seen the next video will be retargeted to see the third video. Only after three videos, which is very easy way to consume information, we actually got them to a page where they had to read something. Because we knew at that point they were really interested. And in the end, that was a page about these are open opportunities. And uh, we've seen that uh, the amount of uh, applications uh, increased drastically. And the the more important thing was the quality. Um so this campaign has been very fresh off the ground uh, for three months now. So we're, we're, we're tying in the figures. But I mean, the, the, the thesis or the benchmark that we're uh, going for is not really just how many uh, applications, but actually among all these applications, how much do we spend to get the right people to hire and really spend the cost per good quality new worker? That's That's the KPI that we work for. Yeah, that's that's a recent example of our work.
0: In many ways, what the communications function is doing is trying to persuade people to think or do certain things. Uh, But there's a scientific underpinning. The Mm. brain science knowledge that we have now that can help us do that in a much more methodical way Mm. really changes the way that we might think about how we get at that. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about what we understand about how people make decisions or yes. how people decide yes. how they're going to behave yes. that might be useful in terms of designing campaigns like this. Yes. I think there's just basically two,
1: two big levers. One, one is understanding that uh, every decision is a journey. It's not you see a message. All oh, right, there's a new model of a new car or there is uh, an election coming up. These are the candidates and bam, I know what to vote. It's just not like that. It's a journey. So, and scientifically researched, my favorite example is car is very well known that it takes on average 900 different questions till you buy a car. Um, So looking into what these questions are, maybe structuring these questions into a phased process. There are a a first set of questions. Mm, What kind of model of a car do I probably need? Maybe then questions related to what can I afford? Then uh, where could I get the best deal? Then maybe how could I optimize, customize, whatever, you know, just making this up. But thinking of every decision, not as there's a message, there's a recipient, and then there's an impact. That's not how it works. It's a journey with multi-layered different questions. And every question is basically a signal of a need. And as a communicator, you need to ask yourself, do I... Fulfill these needs with the right messages and content. This is the first lever that I think and the first um, switch that communicators need to do. Go away from, I have my message, I put it out there and people will then see it and somehow do what I want them to do. It's not happening. So going into that, it's basically going deeper. It's going into the process, into the journey and not coming up with one message and one visual but actually maybe 20 or 50. If you're talking about loans or uh, buying a car or buying a house, um, a political vote, you're talking about thousands of questions. And you need a lot more segmented uh, content. And it's also the other thing is that this journey is not the same for every individual. So there's thousands of journeys. Also the speed in the journey. You might decide after... Three questions: I might take hundreds till I buy the car, depending on the money I have, the impulse buying, reflex I have, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. I think this is one of the first principles that people need to integrate into their communication work when they want to take people to a decision. Um, the other thing then is really looking into in the brain, in the emotions, what's happening? and start playing and and distancing yourself from okay our marketing and our branding we decided to talk about this topic with that word set that's not the way you need to use the language of your audience and you 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 need to use language that actually triggers emotions Mm -hmm. for me myself that's really a passion topic there's words that trigger so much emotions and there's no general rule there's, I, I, I was talking about cognitive biases. This is a model which is well-known. and But every in every campaign, a cognitive bias that could work in financial industry, the one I, I mentioned with the $5 uh, won or loss, perfectly works in financial it might not work the same way in another topic in another audiences so taking these biases and these learnings from neuroscience and then but testing it over and over again what sticks on what topic and what audience this is a systematic approach it's not that it's a rule but it's rather a systematic approach of testing these things over and over again if you do this You can take a, you know, if you take a classic KPI, like a click-through rate on an ad or a posting or a blog post from 0.5% to 5%. That's crazy if you can achieve
0: that, but you can achieve that. What's a kind of typical mistake that a communicator might make by writing something that seems very persuasive to them but they've either missed an opportunity to think about the decision-making yeah. process or the emotional connection.
1: I think the biggest mistake is knowing or assuming to know. Uh, the most experienced writer, writers I know, they think they know how to write because they've been doing it. And o- oftentimes also copy that I look at that I think, oh, this is well written. This is has a funny twist, This beautiful wording. It doesn't perform. Let's take advertising. Advertising for decades have been trying to position themselves as artists. They've been doing creative stuff to be creative, to win awards, to be especially creative, even though it might not work and work in terms of driving results. I'm interested in results. So whatever language it is, whatever word it is, I don't care. If it's, it's, you know, there's a fine line between wording everything for performance performance and losing tonality of your brand. But at the same time, if your audience is reacting to these wordings and your audience is creating the revenue for your brand, probably that branding is better because it it's, it's the connection, the
0: real connection that drives revenue. For somebody who's not gotten started on those last two pieces, how would you tell them to start? Kind of what's mm-hmm. the modest, First mm. few steps somebody can take in this, this direction.
1: Um, that's a question we had three, four years ago as well. And what we came up with is pilots. So uh, a favorite model of mine is taking clients which are not yet very comfortable with this way of working and say, let's do a little pilot. And and a and pilot can be, you know, in Switzerland, a pilot budget could be around 25K. Not too big. You shell out a little part of a bigger budget and say, we're going to run an experimental test along the lines that I just talked about for only this part of the budget. And then let's look at the results compared to what you usually yield when doing it your way. And that has been uh, something that opened door for us a lot. So doing little pilots. But again, if you just go in there and say, yeah, we want to experiment a little bit, give us 25K, it
0: will not work. So, you said something interesting earlier that I want to come back to. You said that for existing clients who are get used to doing things a certain way, yeah. it's very hard to convince them. Yeah. But new clients, when you start from scratch, yeah. it's easier. For a CCO who's in an organization, they're naturally going to be in that first situation. Mm. Do you have advice for, you know, if you did have to make a persuasive case, yeah. what might they do other than what you're describing, which is experiment and show results that demonstrate the value? I think you know if if you're if you're in the context of a running organization
1: running business planning etc I think there are opportunities to create a clean slate which your yearly planning maybe a specific product launch I think you need to find your opportunities to create a first I think that's about the way you should do it um give you an example I I consult a couple of of CMOs in Switzerland on how they should do their yearly budgets and how they should allocate um, their budgets. And mm-hmm. usually it's not a model I came up with. Coca-Cola does this on a global level as well. So they say, we put 70% into stuff we know that works. We put 20% into stuff which is a bit more experimental and we put uh, 10% into really crazy stuff that we have no clue how it's going to end up. But if it sticks, we're going to scale it. Um, And I think this kind of very easy and digestible approach on even in a yearly planning uh, model, creating a safe haven to experiment and then coming up with a backed up, really thorough plan. What are we actually going to experiment with? What are we going to test and why? And what do we think will we learn when we're testing it? I think this is the key. Otherwise, no one will give you the buy-in. Uh, and, 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 and start small, grow big. I mean, that, that's in the end. If I look back at my 20 years, I always start small.
0: Always. So you've started small. Mm-hmm. And now you feel like you've got it to a place where it works. Mm-hmm. Where do you see it going from here? Yeah, scaling, really, really scaling. More and
1: more, it's really going deeper in tech as well. Like taking taking tech in house, building our own advertising servers, building audiences across campaigns, across clients to leverage learnings from a client in this field for another client, which is not possible when you have it on the campaign, eh, on, on the platforms. How does do agencies and comms team integrate technology, not just using it out there on the platforms, but making it part of the organization, taking it in-house and data. Right. Uh, I think having a data strategy, um, how are you as an organization, systematically generating data, aggregating data, and structuring data to be useful again. If you're talking AI, voice as an interface, all these new things that are shifting uh, the markets and the, the, the marketing and communication field now, the basis of it is, is is to have well-structured data. If you don't have that, you cannot leverage it. So these are some of the key questions driving me.
0: I feel like I have to ask you about the ethics involved here. Sure. Um, it sounds creepy. Like you can know things about people, how their minds work, mm. how they make decisions. And in an ideal world, everyone would wield that power responsibly mm. for outcomes that are mm. at worst, not, mm. you know, uh, affecting mm. society in a negative way. Mm. what, what sorts of rules or responsibilities do you think we might need to develop because of the power that we're starting to develop to mm-hmm. influence people in a way mm-hmm. that actually changes their behavior? Mm-hmm. And in ways maybe that you know, they're not aware they're being manipulated in that yeah, way. Yeah,
1: sure, sure, sure. Good question. And I think, uh, you know, looking at the discussions you had here in the US with Facebook and Cambridge Analytics, et cetera, a very relevant one. Um, I don't think there's... there's, there's it, several layers uh, of answers or potential answers to this question. So I think one thing is that only leveraging data that you are allowed to leverage and that kind of consumers knew they were giving away that data. So that um, I think that was one of the key things for the Cambridge Analytica thing because they were using this app, this personality test without knowing what's going to happen with the data. So obviously only play with data that you're allowed to play with. That's one thing. Um, then the other thing is I always, I was waiting for your word manipulation because after 20 years in the comms business and maybe 15 years in the comms business, knowing that comms can drive results, you will never be able to manipulate. I think there's a limit to what communications can do. So you will not get someone to vote for Trump if he doesn't like or has a a natural openness to be receptive to his messages anyway because at some level he o- already agrees to some of his thinking. Mm-hmm. I think you can intensify, multiply, amplify things that are already there, but you cannot create completely new behaviors.
0: So it's not brainwashing, no. it's sort of gentle no, It's. Amplifying. it's yeah. and
1: I think it's amplifying because in the end, when it comes when it comes down to business, Convenience will always trump privacy worries, always. If WhatsApp is the easiest way to reach everyone, you will use WhatsApp. When people ask you in a survey, are you worried about data? Obviously you say yes, because you don't want to you know, look foolish, but you will use it because it's convenient. Same thing is happening now with the voice assistant. It's just so convenient. Convenience trumps privacy worries every,
0: every time. Yeah, I've always felt something similar that if you got enough value in exchange for- Yeah, yeah. that's what I say with, with convenience, yeah. yeah. 25 years ago, if somebody asked you, would you be willing to let a major company know where you are at all times, yeah. let them read your emails, you'd think they were crazy and you would yeah. say no, but yeah. today we do it every day. Yeah,
1: yeah, you do it every day because nowadays there's no more looking for an address because you will always know where to go. That's the other side of it. And I think also that that's part of the education part it's a market. You know, these companies, they have multiple markets. They give you a value for free and they leverage the data you give them for another market in exchange. Basically, it's what the publications have been doing with advertising and readers for centuries. But translating this, making this clear, educating kids in primary school about it, and also generating a better literacy in, 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 in the public area around this. Uh, I think this is, will be something that could really help.
0: Well, I think we've started that today.
1: Yeah, hopefully. I hope so.
0: Thank you very much, Daniel. You're welcome. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at PAGE, Please visit us at page.org. Special thanks go to Morning Consult and to Rivet Smart Audio, our podcast sponsors. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO. A quick message for Page and PageUp members. This year, from June 19 to 21, we'll be holding our first ever Page International Exchange in Amsterdam. This is a brand new multi-day event that's designed to bring members from around the world together to discuss the global issues that are affecting our roles and our enterprises. It'll feature plenty of opportunities for members to talk to each other and learn from leading thinkers. I hope that you'll be able to join us for this event. If you're interested in learning more or in signing up, please visit page.org slash events.